You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week, we're hearing from a special guest speaker. Thanks, man. Thank you, Vintage. Good morning. It's great to be with you. I can't remember what came on the calendar first, but you might have seen me hobble up the stairs there, which would suggest to you that I'm a little bit old. So last night, Debbie and I were at a 50th high school reunion down in Santa Ana, which is where we're from. Holy cow. 50, you know, when you're like 18, you, can, you don't even know what like 50 years is. And then you show up and like everybody's old and guys like me are hobbling upstairs because you got, you know, tendonitis in your knee and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, those kind of things in life, they, they force you to make decisions. So I won't ask for a show of hands because it'd be a little embarrassing, but I'll say for myself that I sometimes struggle with claustrophobia. Not all the time, but sometimes like, you know, been on a plane, you just feel trapped. Like I'm not afraid of flying, but I'll just feel trapped or an elevator door opens and there's, you know, a lot of people in there and you just, if, you, if any of you are feeling me, you're really feeling me. And so what do you do when your knee can't walk up eight flights of stairs and you, everything in you does not want to get in that elevator, what do you do? <laughs> like life just presents these things that like, well, which kind of pain do I want to experience? <laughs> the pain of walking up those stairs or the, the sort of psychic pain of, you know, standing, again, if you're, if you're claustrophobic, you can feel this, standing in a crowded elevator and watching those doors shut, right? Like, which, like what am I gonna do here? And we're going to see as we read our text this morning that when Jesus comes in his person and in his message, um, in his deeds of power, it forced people, not that he was so much forceful, but just his mere presence, the reality of who he was, forced people to make decisions. Again, it's never that Jesus is divisive. It's just that sometimes when you make decisions, a certain path opens before you and a certain path is no longer open to you. Just like if you're standing in front of an elevator with a sore knee wondering, what the heck am I gonna do here? So we never wanna hear Jesus advocating for conflict. In this passage we're gonna read here in a moment, what we want to see is that it's just that conflict is a common element of making a choice to follow him. It's very much likened to Jesus saying, you need to count the cost of following me. So let's read our passage from Matthew uh, I, and another sign that I'm old, uh, a little bigger type would be great, but I can see it up here. <laughs> Matthew 16, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. For if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your own soul? For the son of man will come with his angels in the glory of his father and will judge all people 
according to their deeds. And not least amongst deeds here are not just like acts of, of sin, but fundamental deeds of what we chose. And so what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's helping us to sort out those things in our lives that we think have the greatest significance. Not the things that we think should have the greatest significance. This is one of the places where Christian spirituality goes wrong all the time, is that it gets full of oughts and shoulds, and then those oughts and shoulds gets attached to guilt and shame, and guilt and shame are just loser motivations in Christian spirituality. They might work for a little bit, but they don't work long-term. There has to be this vision to which we've given ourselves, a path that we really have chosen that means therefore I haven't chosen these other paths. Again, the elevator or the stairs. One or the other says, I did not choose this other path. So you see, it's not just positively choosing a path. Alongside that is a positive not choosing of another path. And this is what Jesus is getting at in this really important text. So essentially what Jesus is saying is, the decision to make Jesus our teacher for life, to become his student in kingdom living is the most decisive decision any of us can make. If you can hear Jesus say, come, follow me, and follow me into this ruling and reigning of God that's happening in me and through me. You can see it as I drive out demons. You know, that's the finger of God amongst you and it's a sign of the kingdom ruling and reigning amongst you. As I cleanse lepers, as I stop funeral processions and heal the son of a, of a, of a widow. As you see these things before you, this is a sign of what's true. <clears throat> Excuse me, this is the sign of what's real. And so when Jesus says to you, come follow me, this is the greatest invitation you will ever hear. It's the greatest invitation ever put before humanity. It's not a downer. It's not, a, it's not something that's meant to make us religious. It's not something that's supposed to make us denominational. It's certainly not something that's supposed to make us political. The kingdom of God is the one transcendent thing. It's the rule and reigning of God's person. It then of course transcends partisan politics. It of course transcends denominations. There's something fundamental going on here. And this is why the decision is so fundamental. It's because when we give ourselves as a student to Jesus, that's what really transforms us. That's what actually makes us human as God intended. And then because it's so transcending of everything, it catches up life and work and family and neighbor and makes us human as God intended in all those places. So I imagine you agree with me, that's not hard, but you may wonder, well, how the heck do we actually do that? What, like what's at the core, what's at the center of becoming a student of Jesus, becoming a disciple to Jesus? And Jesus says the answer has something to do with the cross. If you guys could put that slide back up there, I think it's the second one that has the phrase of the cross in there. What Jesus is saying is this is fundamental. The cross is not simply a wooden implement on which Jesus died and shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven and that we could be with God forever. That's all true. But there's a wisdom that undergirds that. There's a wisdom that made the cross what it is that Jesus is saying is actually central to everything. 
and should be the lens through which we view life, through which we make sense of other people, the events of our lives, that it, it brings up this word cruciform, which just simply means cross-shaped. That what Jesus, when, when Jesus pictured you and me, and when he pictured the, the church, he pictured something cruciform, that it would be in the shape of the cross. That the, that the cross is central, Jesus is saying in this passage, to following Jesus and therefore to Christian spirituality. So then that means if you were to say, well, how do I become a student of Jesus? What would it mean to live cruciform? That sounds like a big religious word, right? What, what would it mean to do that? It's actually really simple. Not easy. In the same way, when I see those elevator doors closing, it's not easy to stand there or to you know, have the pain of walking up six or eight flights of stairs. It's not easy, but it's actually simple and it just simply means denying yourself is the route to finding real lasting life, to becoming humanity as God intended. That's the wisdom that Jesus is saying is central to all creation, to whatever exists in all the universes, Everything that exists in the cosmos, everything that God has done and is doing right central to that is the wisdom of the cross. Are you feeling me here? Not just the fact of the cross and not just the fact of Jesus dying on the cross and shedding his blood. Again, that's unspeakably core to, to Christian faith. But what Jesus is trying to say in this passage is what's the wisdom that makes that true? From which did that come? How does God reconcile himself to his broken creation through his own death? Through the denying of himself in the death of his son. That's what Jesus is saying is core to everything he's doing. So the miracles, of course. Um, when he taught, people would say, we've never heard anybody teach with this sort of wisdom and power. Where does he get it? Jesus stunned, Jesus is stunning. And he stunned the crowds that he was with in his day. And here he's saying, if you wanna know what's the meaning of this power and where it comes from and where it's going, it's cruciform in its shape. It finds its wisdom and the, then the denial of God himself to set aside his rightful ability to punish and to restore in this cruciform sort of way. But when we hear, lay down your life or deny yourself or take up your cross. You know, we hear that in, you know, it's kind of scary, right? I mean, like, what could that possibly mean? What would it, what does it mean to deny myself? And then you could get into all sorts of things of what is a self and what's central to myself. And what I want you to hear in this this morning is that accompanied in this invitation to take up our cross and live cruciform lives and deny ourselves, it's actually a beautiful promise that he says, if you lose your life, you'll find a new life and it'll be life with the quality of eternity to it. So when Jesus talked in his teaching about eternal life, that if you come follow me, you'll find eternal life, we need to think about that for a second because lots of us, our imaginations would say that eternal life is like spatial, you know, S-P-A-T-I-A-L, like out there in space somewhere, wherever God might be, that's kind of where eternal life is, that it somehow has to do with space. Or some of us, when we hear the phrase eternal life, we think of 
a, a quantity of life, like just life that never ends. Others of us might think, no, eternal life has to do with something we get after we die. And none of those things are the case. The case of eternal life is it's a different kind of life. It's the quality of life that one gets when one places their whole trust in Christ, gives themselves to him, takes up their cross and follows him. You actually get a different sort of life. So it works something like this. Uh, let's pretend this black speaker here is a potted plant and growing out of the pot is something like a palm tree. And that tree has a certain sort of life, right? It's a, the, the palm fronds would be alive with reference to the relative moisture in the air, the relative temperature. Uh, the roots down in the pot would be alive with reference to the moisture in the soil, the nutrients in the soil. The palm tree has a certain sort of life. But let's say up here on, um, on the uh, lectern is a playful black and white kitty cat. And I have a red ball in my pocket and I take it and I toss it down the aisle there. What's the kitty cat do? Jumps down and chases the ball, right? Well, what does the plant do with reference to the ball? Nothing. Why? It doesn't have that sort of life. It's alive in the ways I described, but it's dead to the realm of play. It doesn't have that sort of life. Now to keep the illustration going, let's say there's a sofa up here and our daughter Carol Ann is five years old or something and daddy's doing flashcards with her and daddy says four times four is and Carol Ann says 16. Well, so the, does the cat stop and go, I'll be darned. <laughs> four times four is 16. Well, no, why? Because though the cat is alive to the realm of play, it's dead to the realm of mathematics. It doesn't have that sort of life. Now, I want you to look at me. When Jesus says, take your life as you know it and give it up, he means lay down your mere plant likeness. Give up your mere catness and become humanity as God intended. It is the greatest invitation you will ever hear it is not a denying of yourself in some way that would suppress your humanity. Why would God want to do that? It wouldn't suppress your intellect. It wouldn't suppress your creativity. It wouldn't suppress your ethnic background. It wouldn't suppress your language that you speak or the, the place that you come from on the earth. None of that is suppressed. No, it becomes everything that it was intended to be. It's just that to get that life, Jesus says, you have to lay down the mere plant likeness. You have to like, trust me that there's a different sort of life that's available to you. And, and it's true. The reason this is hard for some of us is we don't know what this new life is going to be. We don't know what the experience of that elevator ride is going to be. It just seems sort of scary, but the snare seems sort of painful. And this is what Jesus is saying. This is the place that humanity always finds itself in when humanity confronts Jesus. And what Jesus wants to help us see is that when we give ourselves to him as his student in kingdom living, we don't actually lose life in that scary bad sense. We gain a different sort of life. Now I've been working at this for a long time. I already told you I'm an old guy. So I'm 67, I was converted in the Jesus movement down in Costa Mesa, you know, in the 
40, you know, I don't know, 47 years ago or something. I've been at this a long time. And can I just say to you, as like the old guy in the room this morning, I never feel more grounded. I never feel more like I'm approaching wisdom for living than when I discover an external frame by which to make sense of all the nonsense in daily human life. How do you explain all the nuttiness in the church? How do you explain nuttiness in partisan politics? How do you decide to describe something that's more nutty than like global politics right now and, and just what's happening all over the earth? You need a frame of reference by which to understand those things and engage them. And Jesus, like you think he's smart, don't you? Like seriously, think for a second. Do you think Jesus is smart? Well, he's saying the way to live human life is cruciform. The frame that explains everything from creation to the new heavens and the new earth and all the ups and downs of humanity in that, it's meant to be cruciform. So what I wanna say to you this morning is that the wisdoms that are on offer today, they don't come close to the wisdom of the cross. In this new eternal life, this new kind of life that Jesus is giving us, everything is made sense of in terms of the cross, which again, if you say, Todd, that's a little religious, help me get it a little bit more, it simply means self-emptying. Like if you wanna find out what it means to be human, begin to practice in little ways self-emptying. Again, emptying of plant-likeness, emptying of cat-likeness, and then picking up this new sort of life. When Jesus says, at the center of everything that God our Father is up to, the shape of it is cruciform, what that means, vintage, is there's no higher philosophy to move on to. There's nothing in partisan politics. You do realize that Jesus came after Aristotle and Plato the greatest philosophers humanity's ever known. And Jesus gently said, no, no, no. There's nothing at the end of those roads. And there's nothing at the end of the roads of the philosophies and you know, political persuasions and stuff that are on, author today, on offer today. There is no real wisdom in them, not ultimate wisdom. There's nothing at the end of the road of deconstructionism. I'm very patient with it. I'm not upset with anybody. I totally agree with what Gare said talking about Alpha. It's a great place to come. If you're thinking about, I don't know what I think about certain things of faith. I get that that's in the air today. Uh, the last book I wrote that just came out a couple months ago is called What Jesus Intended, uh, Finding True Faith in the Rubble of Bad Religion. And it's written to people who are struggling with faith today. I totally get it. I'm just simply saying the way back to that is through Jesus. And Jesus says at the heart of everything that I'm doing is the cross. And it shows us what it means to be human and how to live and to how to live especially for the sake of others. So when I think of this, and there are so many times that I can remember I tend to write early in the morning, sitting at our dining room table, thinking I just want to sit with the wounded and the weeping the de-churched and say to them, everything that you dreamed to be true about church and that was shattered, everything that you hoped would be true about religion and felt fractured, 
It's realized in the cross of Christ. That is the wisdom of God. But here's the deal, my dear ones. We can't simply say, gee, I wish the church would become cruciform and therefore be a safe place for me to be. Uh Uh-uh. We have to invite that into ourselves because the church is nothing more than an amalgamation of all of us. Are you feeling me here? Like it's, it's, I get it that we would say, I wish this denomination would do more of this or less of that, or this church would have been, been more of this or less of that. I totally get that. It's, it's a totally normal thing. And we can wish that, that on the church, but we have to wish it first for ourselves. Right, I think of John 10, when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, when he, and, and when he describes what that means, four times in that chapter, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. That's what it means to be good. Again, look at me. You wanna know what it means to be good? Find a way to lay down your life for others. Goodness, of course, has all kinds of moralisms attached to it in certain settings and all that. But fundamentally, again, it's cruciform. If you wanna know what is ethics, if you wanna know what is morals, if you wanna know what is the good life, what's it mean to really be human in God's image, you're gonna come up with a cruciform answer because Jesus says, this is what's really, really happening. So the invitation to us, I think this morning is this. The wisdom of this world is on its way out. Its days are numbered. With everything in my heart, I wanna say, don't hitch your wagon to it. Submit to God's cruciform way of being and God's cruciform way of ministering to others. So this morning, I'm asking you in your life and work to trust the story that Jesus tells about the power of the cross. It's the central basis for life and faithful witness today. And I'm asking you therefore to put your full trust in the wisdom of the cruciform way in which the kingdom come. Now, I don't have time to explain this this morning, but I'm telling you, the first friends of Jesus were shocked that the rule and reign of God came in a cruciform way. Well, why wouldn't we be, have some mystery about how, the, how that's the truth? That the way the rule and reign of God comes didn't come from lightning bolts and earthquakes and frying humanity. It came through the tender love of his son who became obedient and humbled himself, as Philippians said, even to death on a cross. So this morning, what I want you to do, because I know most of you in this room have some sort of relationship with God, some sort of relationship with church, with Christianity, with religion, and probably you know that um, well-known passage of Paul's in Galatians 2.20 that says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, Paul said, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who was crucified for me, who died for me, gave himself for me. Now I want you to think of the time, could have been a year ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, the first time that text had meaning to you. Maybe you even wept or felt some sort of emotion at the, at the beautiful wisdom of being crucified with Christ. And this vision of, therefore, I, merely human, am no longer living, but now Christ is living in me. I'm this new sort of humanity. I'm not plant-likeness or cat-like. I'm this new sort of human. 
And so now this life that I'm living in the body, I'm living by faith in the son of God who is defined by his love for me, who, which is defined by his dying for me. So this morning, I wanna invite you into that first love. See if you can relive this morning through the spirit that really childlike confidence that you had once in God. Kind of humble wonder you had. And I know for some of you that humble wonder has morphed into a a kind of a deconstruction and again, I feel you, I love you, I get it. But what if you could make your way back this morning to that first love? And ask the spirit to refresh ourselves in that first love this morning. And that then that first love we would bring into the work of our discipleship and the work of evangelism and justice seeking that you're all about here in vintage. And I just wanna say the way to do that, according to Jesus, who I trust, is something like this. I am crucified with Christ, that's the big vision. And that alone makes me God's child. And that alone makes me an agent of healing and repair and salvation in this broken world. Hear that again. See if you can attach it to your first love. I have been crucified with Christ. And that alone makes me God's child, his agent of healing and repair and salvation in the world. Amen. Let's stand together. And as we do here at Vintage, taking this moment to invite the spirit to do what he does with a text, you know, like people like Gary and I and others who teach here, we do our best to, you know, make these texts, you know, say what we think they're supposed to say, but there is an ability in which the spirit has um, to take his own words in a sense that we're inspired in the Bible and to inspire Um, inspire those words in us afresh this morning. So let's just wait for a moment of quiet. And I wanna give you a moment in which I'm not talking, in which you can try to remember those moments of first love. Can you feel the simplicity? Maybe you want to invite God to restore the childlikeness that was there. May the spirit kindle in you this morning hope. May the Lord restore faith all over the room this morning. And may he restore a sense of faithfulness in your God who sent his son and invites you to follow him into Christiform, cruciform Christianity. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.